Welcome to the Pre-Vet Podcast. I'm Alex Avellino, your tour guide on the journey to becoming a veterinarian. Listen along as we provide you with tips, tricks, and tales on applying to veterinary school. Welcome back to the Pre-Vet Podcast. I'm Alex Avellino, and today we have Dr. Plummer, who is an associate professor of comparative ophthalmology. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Alex. It's great to be here. I'm really excited for us to get into the eyes and talk about what comparative ophthalmology is. Um, But first, I thought it would be great, as always, to have you talk about your pathway to veterinary medicine. How did you get here? Where did you go to undergrad? What was your major? And any kind of tips and tricks you'd like our students to know that helped you along the way? Sure, sure. Well, I was... uh a geeky 4-H kid when I, when I was in school. So I had horse, I had dogs and cats, and um, always had a love for, of animals. So I, I had that from the get-go. Mm-hmm. And then I went to college and thought, well, maybe I should go to medical school. Um, thought about that, did the pre-med coursework at my uh, undergrad university, which was Yale. Ooh, Yale. Yeah, That's I went cool. to Yale. I'm a Yaley. And uh, interestingly, the my classmates were kind of high strung, all of the pre-med folks that I was around. And I wasn't really comfortable with them. I realized after coming back from my freshman year summer there that I really was more comfortable working with people that love animals. Mm -hmm. So I decided I would go to veterinary school. Wonderful. And where did you go to veterinary school? I went to the University of Florida. Go Gators. Go Gators. Okay, so UF for your DVM, and then did you do an internship and a residency? What did after the DVM look like? I did. After I finished my vet school, University of Florida, I did a rotating internship in surgery and medicine at Michigan State University. In surgery and medicine. Mm-hmm. Okay. And why that internship? Um, well, I went there because of a matching program. When you finish veterinary school, most of the time you will go into a matching program that will send you someplace where it's a good fit. Yes. Um, And that was one of the programs I ranked highly because of my mentors at University of Florida thought highly of the people that worked there. Wonderful. Okay. And then where was your residency? I came back to Gainesville. Go Gators. Go Gators. Okay. So we, you know, started and finished with the Gators and now you're obviously, you know, still still with the college. Um, Now, do you teach courses as well? I do. Um, We're actually pretty lucky in ophthalmology. We have coursework in all four years. Okay. So I teach the freshman introduction to ophthalmology. Mm -hmm. And that is a short course where we go into anatomy and physiology of the eye and do some early clinical correlates. Okay. What is a cataract? What does that mean for that animal, for its vision, for its comfort, that sort of thing. And then in the second year, we do a pathology course. So we talk instead of about the normal Mm -hmm. stuff, we talk about all the diseases that can happen. Cool. Okay. And then third and fourth years, we have electives. I teach in the third year an equine elective, so exclusively about horse eyes. Okay. And then in the senior year, we have an elective that talks about small animals, dogs, and cats. And what you're talking about now kind of sounds like earlier in the show, um, before we started the show, I asked what comparative ophthalmology means, and you said that it was all the species. All the species. Because every species has eyes. Every, most. Oh, what animals don't have eyes? Well, there are a few, <laughs> there are a few animals that have kind of rudimentary eyes. Can we have an example? Um, moles. Oh, Just yes. kind of little nubbins there. Okay. And uh, animals that actually don't live in light situations, so like cave-dwelling animals sure. or deep-sea animals. Um, now, so for cave-dwelling animals, deep-sea animals, they'd have no use for an ophthalmologist, correct? Correct. How about the moles? 
Um, well, if they if their eyes were causing them pain, if they had a source of, of pain, sure. Then sure. Then I would I would be the mole doctor. <laughs> Can we just for a brief moment talk about how hard it is to spell ophthalmology? What are your thoughts on that? Oh, that's a great question. It is one of almost every ophthalmologist I have ever had any experience with, veterinary or human, major pet Hate thief. it. Hate it. For Can you go ahead and just spell it for our listeners? O-P-H-T-H-A-L-M-O-L-O-G-Y. Even when you spell it, I'm like, it doesn't sound right. It's wrong. I just hate that first H. It's wrong. <laughs> Talk to us about why ophthalmology? What called you to that specialty? Well, when I started vet school, I thought I wanted to go into surgery. That was, that was my thing. I wanted to fix things. And then freshman year, I took the intro to ophthalmology course that I now teach. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah, it's a full circle yeah. thing. Yeah. And oh, full circle, like an eye. Like an eye, <laughs> yes. Um, and I fell in love with it. So uh, at that point, the attraction is that you get to work with more than one species. Right. Okay. So most practitioners, they work with large animals or small animals. Some people do mixed. Some people do exotic. But there are very few people that get to do all of them. Mm -hmm. So multi-species. Right. That's a huge draw. The other huge draw for me was that I get to do medicine and I get to do surgery. So it's sure. not specifically one or the other. Right. So lots of opportunities. That's wonderful. So what kind of personality do you think lends itself to ophthalmology? What kind of student makes a great ophthalmologist? Well, ophthalmologists are very detail-oriented people. So we do exams of the eye and look at all the little pieces, parts, and make detailed notes about what we see and what's changed compared to the last exam. So you need to be really observant. You need to be very detail-oriented. Okay. That's probably the most important thing. Yeah. And it, it is cool that, um, you know, like we said, you get to work with multiple animals, but you do get to do surgery and medicine. So let's break down those two topics. So what kind of medicine, what are we seeing often in eyes that would get treated with medicine? Uh, every, almost every disease that you can get in human ophthalmology, okay. you can see in a veterinary species. So dogs, we see dry eye all the time. Oh, do we do eye do we do eye drops for that we then? We do eye drops. Okay. We do some we use some of the same drugs. And actually it's interesting. Um, veterinary medicine is most of the time when drugs come out for a certain use. Yes. It goes to the human market and then vets use it later. Cool. For dry eye, we use cyclosporin, which is an immunomodulator drug and it has tear stimulatory properties. Okay. So it causes you to produce more tears and better tears. Yes. That started uh, being used in the veterinary space. First. First. Cool. Yes. So it's one of those interesting situations where we did it first and then the human physicians kind of followed along. So folks at home who have dry eye, you're welcome from the veterinary community. Indeed. Okay. So dry eyes, what else? Gla um, what are does glaucoma and cataracts issues? Exactly. Glaucoma and cataracts are a big deal, okay. um, particularly in dogs. Okay. So lots of particularly purebred dogs. Now, are, is any of that getting solved with surgery? Yes. So cataracts, if they're teeny tiny, we generally don't remove them. Okay. But if they're large enough and they're vision threatening, then we'll do surgery to remove cataracts. Okay. But any cataract is also, it causes a little bit of inflammation inside the eye. So we treat that medically, even if the, the patient isn't a candidate for cataract surgery. Sure. And glaucoma, we treat 
generally multimodal therapy. So they get some medications, and then if those aren't effective, then we look at surgical options. Okay, so it sounds like you might have a full treatment plan for one or both of these eyes and these animals. Right, and they are specifically tailored to that particular individual and, and often that particular eye. Sure, okay, wow. So that, like you said, very detail-oriented. With animals, Dr. Plummer, we haven't really spoken about this on our podcast, and I, I think um, our intern, Michael, mentioned it in the car. How do we know if animals are having vision issues because they can't tell us and they also can't tell us, yes, you know, that surgery worked, I can see better. What, how do we know? What do we do? Yeah, that's an excellent question. It's, it's quite difficult, actually, um, for a couple of reasons. We can't sit them in front of the instrumentation at the optometrist and say, is this lens a little better than that lens? Or is this lens a little worse? They aren't going to be able to respond to us in that same way. But we can use more indirect methods. Mm -hmm. So during our exam, if we are concerned that there is a vision deficit, then we'll often set up obstacle courses. We'll do little mazes to put them through. So we put the owner on the opposite side of the room, set up little traffic cones and things, turn the lights on, turn the lights off, ask oh. ask the dog usually to maneuver through the course that we've yeah. set up and we can time them we can see how long it takes if they bump into things those sorts of things oh that seems so fun yeah cats are not quite as amenable to that, that. doesn't shock me yeah yeah so cats sometimes it's a matter of are they missing jumps are they mm, not okay. interacting with their environment but to tell you the truth it's actually can be very difficult especially if a vision problem was kind of gradually uh, coming about to determine if some animals are blind because they are amazing at mapping their environment mm -hmm. and using other physical clues. So does it often become they the animals are coming to see you because it's gotten quite bad? It's gotten quite bad or it's acute in onset sure. or um, Really, the main reason that people come to see an ophthalmologist is because an eye is a source of pain. Yeah. It looks funny. It's red. It's got discharge. They're squinting, mm -hmm. those sorts of things. What are some of the strangest things you've seen in your career when it comes to the eyes? Oh, wow. Um, I've seen some strange things. <laughs> okay, so I had a dog a couple of years ago that um, was historically enucleated. So enucleation means the eye is removed. Okay. So the eyelids were sutured shut. All right. And But the problem was that the orbit, the bony space that holds the eye, mm -hmm. uh, would fill with air periodically. Okay. okay. So it looked like a little balloon on the face. Oh. It was very were strange. This, was it not sealed all the way and air was getting in? Well, air was coming in through the nasal lacrimal duct. Oh, geez. Yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, I wouldn't. How did you fix it? Well, uh, we went back in to explore. The, the enucleation had been, been done years before and uh, found a little eyeball in there. It had not actually been removed. It was small. And uh, so wow. we, we see some interesting things. What a surprise to think the eyeball wasn't there and then surprise, there it is. There wow. it was. Oh, my goodness. What are some of the cool techniques, research that's coming up with um, ophthalmology. What are some of the things that we're excited about? Oh, there's so much we're excited about. Um, there's so much work that needs to be done. So if you out there, if you are interested in ophthalmology, we need people that are willing to generate some science and generate some new knowledge. Um, but in our practice at the University of Florida, one of the things that we see a lot of are horses that have corneal disease. Okay. So horses will get infections on the surface of their eye. The cornea is essentially the windshield. Um, 
that are very similar to what people get. So we get, we see a lot of fungal infections, we see a lot of nasty bacterial infections that can actually make a really deep wound in the windshield. And that can compromise the integrity of the globe. So we actually do a fair number of corneal transplants okay. at the University of Florida. So we use donor cornea and, and replace the diseased part. favorite eyes? I don't know. That's a hard question because they're all different. What are some of the ones that students might think, oh, we wouldn't have worked on those kinds of eyes? What are some of the unique animals? Well, um, I'm lucky because I work on anything that has eyeballs. Um, the exotic animals are really, they're, they're usually a treat because they're quite different and there's so much variation in their eyes. Mm -hmm. in the, uh, not necessarily the anatomy, but kind of the appearance of them. They yeah. could have very different colored irises. They could have different pupil shapes, the size of the eyes, the um, external outer protective covering could be a different shape. Sometimes they have different um, tissues that give them their rigidity. So like birds have bone in their eyes. Oh. Hmm. Um, and reptiles have cartilage. So oh. their globes are a little bit more rigid mm -hmm. than a mammal's. Yeah. Um, all of the reptile species and amphibians, they have, you know, very interesting adaptations uh, for camouflage. Uh-huh. So yes. uh, if you look at especially frogs, um, oftentimes you'll see pigment going through their iris that kind of blends in with a pigment stripe on their skin. Cool. Same with turtles and, and some other lizards and crocodilians. That is cool. So what do students need to do, do you think, to prepare an undergrad to get not only get into vet school, but eventually become an ophthalmologist. Other than being detail oriented, what are some things that you would do, you know, to recommend to them? Oh, that's that's a good question. Things to do before you get to vet school: just be a good student, get good grades, pay attention to your study habits. That's probably the best thing that you can do. Of course, grades are important; they get you where you need to go. But before veterinary school, if you can get um, practiced and really good at um, processing information and remembering information, that will serve you well once you get to veterinary school. Good advice for any profession students, yes. Um, make sure, especially for, we've mentioned this before about study habits, and they are going to change from undergrad to vet school, but getting a nice foundation down for what works for you and being flexible with that will definitely be helpful. Dr. Plummer, what have we not talked about that you think is important for pre-vet students to know, um, something about to get them ready to go to vet school, something about ophthalmology? What do they need to know from you? Once you get into vet school or accepted to vet school, I think it's really important to kind of kind of reevaluate why you're there. So your goal at that point should not be to become an ophthalmologist or to become a surgeon. Your goal at that point should be to learn how to process information, how to remember information, how to translate that into a clinical decision-making application. And your goal should be to become the best doctor you can be. It's not to get the A, although that's great. Makes your life easier for sure. But your goal should be to take that information in and be able to apply it so that you can provide the best quality medicine surgery for your patient and your client. 
Absolutely. And I know that if a student were to say something along those lines in an interview about why they want to become a veterinarian, that would blow the admissions committee away because there's no shortage of students who come in and say, I know I want to work with aquatics or I know I want to be a cardiologist. But for a student to come in and say, I'm here to learn and to apply my knowledge for the future and I want to just continue to grow in this profession, that would be exactly what they want to hear. Well, I want to thank Dr. Plummer for being here today. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Uh, we're much more excited about eyes and what the eyes can do and how we can help our furry friends at home um, have better eyesight. I think your homework for this episode should be to Google different types of eyes in animals, specifically maybe some reptiles and see some of the different um, eye shapes and qualities that Dr. Plummer brought up and figure out which eye is going to be your favorite when you eventually get to your ophthalmology rotation in vet school. I'm Alex Avellino and we'll talk to you soon.